under there? All right, you're going to be all right, huh? She doesn't call under the chair often, only when she's sick or if she's hurt or limp or okay. whatever, through hidey hole. She's called under the chair. It's been <laughs> first months that she's been under the chair. That happened to Bickerboo to Dawson. In fact, I sent a photo of how many dogs are in this. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that, yeah. Yeah. Is it recording now? Uh, oh, yes, we've already started the recording. So go ahead, yes. Okay, right. uh, you know, and Parker, I'm really glad to see you. Well, yeah, happy yes, to see you. Uh, you know, you were telling a story about going to a meditation group at the <laughs> university. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, I was told about this mindfulness group. I was like, I'd totally love to go or whatever. And so then I, sh I show up and basically the overall idea that was being put forward was just one of very standard Western Buddhism of like uh, just not trying to challenge, uh, I don't even know what the right word to say is, but not trying to replace your thoughts, just having them there, not seeing your, not placing your thoughts into categories of wholesome and unwholesome, just mm -hmm. seeing them as thoughts and more thoughts. And right. Which is typically mindfulness, which would be mm -hmm. then ordinary kind of sati is to mm -hmm. remember to look at what you're doing. Okay, right. so they're they're on the right path up to a point. Absolutely, yeah, totally. Um, and then I was like, hey, isn't there like actually shouldn't we be doing this in a way where we're, you know, making, uh, you know, again, some sort of discrimination here between wholesome and unwholesome thoughts because i was like i can wait I, I i brought it up i was like i can wake up in the morning and have the, and have the thought like god i want to kill myself right now you know and like if i just let that just be a thought or whatever and just be like wow i just thought that okay you know <laughs> and like continue paying attention to what's going to happen after that or whatever like <laughs> the day is going to be it's going to be rough or whatever versus if I have the thought like, oh, I want to kill myself. And then I'm like, wow, everything is so nice right now. Like this is like I can breathe or whatever. You know, I've, I have nowhere to do nothing, to, nowhere to go or whatever. Like everything is nice right now. Like I don't there's nothing. There's no so pressure. Asked, so the first question you asked for the teacher was about this. What kind of two kinds of thoughts and what did he say? Well, I just yeah, I said that. Um, shouldn't we um doesn't the buddha have a sutta that says that when there is an unwholesome thought you whack it and replace it with a wholesome thought and they replied with um gosh what did they say that they they understood what i was saying and i think that they thought it was important and that it deserved weight of some sort but i think I'm trying to remember exactly what they're saying now. It was something along the lines because it's I understand in that he was like um, um, that we can't try to force ourselves into a certain pattern of thought, right? And that is something, and that I, I do think is important. Um, 
and he just brought up the I guess he brought up positive thinking and he was like I remember like the positive thinking was like a big thing I think like in the 60s or something mm-hmm. so I guess he, that's where he thought that I was going where it's like you just think positively or whatever <laughs> um I suppose that's a lot of it <laughs> um but yeah okay and then they practice metta yeah, that, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, yeah, isn't they, practicing metta then in the best way that they know how, and the, but in the intention is, is to be well-wishing, mm-hmm. which is positive thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Is it, that's very, very unusual that that contradiction is there and they can't see it. That's, well, that's, you know, I was, again, like, I was ready to have more like the first time I was there I was kind of like uh just thrown off like I was just in a really bad mood I'll be honest like I had just coming out of class or whatever you know and it was just like it was just I had been so much stuff was going on so I was just and I and like we all did like a check and like how's everyone feeling and I was just like I am upset right now I'm I'm afraid and angry <laughs> like just straight up you know I was like I'm you know I'm not gonna lie to these people I'll be I'll be totally honest with what my mind state was there um so yeah um but after that yeah the last time was way better <laughs> um yeah I don't remember what I was gonna say but yeah well what you're what you're mentioning there uh is is very typical. I've seen that over the years with um, the, in fact, it uses the word mindfulness. It's almost like mindfulness has become uh, the uh, the brand. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's interesting that that's the brand because uh, the, the typical situation is, is that the word mindfulness is not part of the English language in general use, that the only use of the word is within the context of Buddhism. And in that regard, that means that it's got whatever definition that anybody wants to put on it, because it really doesn't. I mean, whatever the dictionary will now put, they're putting it because it's in common usage. Mm-hmm. Okay rather than a historical reason. In other words, the word's not part of the language. It comes in new. It comes with it a new definition. And this is where they're, they're missing is, uh, is all about uh, that it's really a package deal, as we've talked about before. There's a, there's a set of skills that need to be developed. Mm-hmm. Just like in, in music, if you're going to learn to play any particular musical instrument, there's a, a lot of different things that you're going to have to learn to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and dexterity in one hand and dexterity in the other is not necessarily the same thing, especially for a violinist. Yeah. Because all the hard work they do with the left hand. Which then trains them into being ambidextrous. So that means that the right-handed violinists are as uh, competent in two-handed skills as left-handed people that have to be right-handed because of so much equipment is, is built that way. Yeah. Uh, that sometimes, uh, and in fact, one of the Beatles uh, put his guitar uh, and tuned it for the, for the left hand. Well, guitars are not made that way. 
they're made so that the low string, the heavy string, has the, the tension of the guitar, and so the structure's in the guitar. If you actually take a regular guitar and string it that way, it's going to break the guitar by the time you get the bass note tuned. Well, Jimi Hendrix did that, right? He had the right, he flipped it. Except that you've got to take the guitar itself to a dealer, or not a dealer, but a guitar maker, and have him restructure it so that it can be left-handed. And I've never seen anybody do that with a violin. (laughs) I have never seen that done with a violin. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, back to this whole point about... um, there are a number of skills that need to be learned and that mindfulness and having just one word for it, it is kind of like there's only one skill to learn, which is sati. And you have to get better and better and better and better at that skill. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then what happens is, is that students actually by practicing that they get really good at it and they get many, many benefits out of the use of that one skill. But if they don't have the other skills, then that means that they're setting themselves up. And in fact, the setup has been long known that the dry insight meditation or that practice of mindfulness sets one up for what now in the West has been called a dark night of the soul. Mm. But the whole point of the dark night of the soul is different. And so let's explain that for just a little bit, because that's where all of these people are headed. Is a dark night of the soul, except that the real dark night of the soul is Christian and has nothing to do with Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And so we need to make that distinction first. And the distinction is, is that in Christianity, it's already set up that you cannot do it yourself. You need outside assistance. And the dark night of the soul is when somebody realizes finally to the very, very bottom gut of their heart, nobody's coming. The Calvary is not coming. The dude's still on the cross or he's in the sky, but he's not coming. (laughs) That's the dark night of the soul. And what that means then is, is that the despair is deep and the despair can be somewhat permanent because there's no one in the priesthood or anyone around that's going to help that nun out of her doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, that this is a big, uh, a, a big deal about, uh, I, in fact, I just saw it, is, it was in one of the movies that uh, was very popular to where this um, uh, Puritan woman with her bonnet and all of this dressed and she's moaning there, I have doubt. I have doubts. I have so many doubts. And that kind of uh, display is precisely what we're talking about in the dark night of the soul is because they have deep doubts. Mm-hmm. Well, I would not expect a Buddhist who is developing the skill of mindfulness to go into that depth of it. But it can be done. I mean, you can really talk yourself into how doubtful you are about your practice of meditation or where it's not going anywhere uh, and and all of that. But generally, a teacher can talk you right out of that. And not only that, but it's also well known that the degree of these dark nights um, uh, is almost like it's, it's your choice. How deep? Are you going to go 
before you finally change your mind and decide that you're going to do something new. Because that's all about it. So the question is, and in fact, the Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's way is to teach the students enough to know that that's the first thing that we've got to do in our mindfulness is learn that we got to make a choice here. We got to make a change. Yeah. And that's where we really start out. Because that's one's right effort is to make that change. Well, in the Mahasi Methodist come to the West, that development of, of mindfulness or sati allows them to really take a, a look closely and they get very, very good at then inspecting what's going on in the mind, which is still because they haven't removed the dukkha, they've still got a lot of dukkha on the mind. And so they change the, the path from dukkha, dukkha, naroda into dukkha, dukkha, wow, look at the dukkha, oh, how much dukkha I have. And this dukkha leads to that dukkha. And now I see the connection between those dukkha. Oh, there's more dukkha down there. Okay. And so that's the way that they're they're doing it, but they're not quite doing it with the joy that I'm expressing. (laughs) (laughs) They don't know how to go find the dukkha joyfully. Because aha, I see you too, is the right way to do it, rather than wearing the dukkha and making it worse. Well, here's the thing. You've actually heard this before. Uh, it's uh, actually part of the cliche of our language, and that is the concept of rock bottom. Okay, that in, that's what happens with an alcoholic. The alcoholic will go to AA when he hits rock bottom. The question, the funny part of it is, is that everybody has a different rock bottom, and that that rock bottom is at various levels. The basic point I would say is, is that when does somebody finally wake up to that they have a choice about this dukkha and when it hurts bad enough, they'll, they'll make that choice. This is what a lot of movies are about is putting somebody into enough pressure until they pop. Okay. Even a balloon has a choice. Is he going to sit there under pressure and hold all of that air in while it's being squeezed? Or is he going to finally just pop? (laughs) All right. So that's basically what happens. But the way that I would want to look at it is that the popping happens before they ever call me. (laughs) That in fact, they call me because they popped. Got to do something (laughs) else. (laughs) But within the Mahasi method, they have to, oh no, they have to really pop. They have to really get to the bottom Mm. of it, right down into the misery. But um, that's not necessarily uh, true. Let us look at it in the sense of pointing in a direction. If I point in that direction, let us say that I'm pointing at the TV. The pointing at the TV is not the TV. That another one would say the teacher is pointing at the moon. Look at the moon and stop sucking on the teacher's finger. Okay, so this is also a way of looking at it. It's not necessarily students have to go into misery, but they can see it. They can see they're heading towards it. They see that this is the direction I'm going in. When am I going to change direction? All right. So the real dark night of the soul is there's no new direction to take. I'm not getting any help. I have prayed my way out of this and I can't get out. Right. There's no place left to go. There's no priest that's going to talk me out Mm -hmm. of changing my ways. 
because you're headed in the same direction that I am. And so, and by the way, there's a very famous case of this. It just happened recently and her mother, her name was Mother Teresa that I'm actually telling Mother Teresa's later life story. That and that it didn't come out until her memoirs posthumously. And the biggest joke in town is, is that they canonized her. Mm. They canonized her and she's stuck <laughs> in the dark side of the soul. I mean, you would expect some saint to actually come out of their own hell. The uh-huh. lady's in hell for 20 years and they canonize her as being the, the, the ideal of Christianity. Interesting, huh? Yeah, I think it's all like, or a lot of it is just summed up because I was I was thinking about it, and it's I feel like a lot of it is like, like I was saying, summed up by the question of like, are you going to simply watch the breath and watch the natural flow of the breath, or are you going to choose to make it a, a deep breath, right? Mm-hmm. Because and again, like you can see why watching quote unquote the natural rhythm of the breath or whatever can be you know why that sounds like a very good thing and why the idea of like forcing your breath could be bad as well you know so i can understand like the perspective or whatever but at the same time it's like not making thinking that like your mind or whatever is just it's something out of your control and it's just something that happens to you rather than it's something that you're doing yourself or whatever it's just going to lead you into yeah well now here's something very very here's something very interesting about that you use the word force Uh because that's a western culture word and that i have seen people do that with their breath and then come back and report that that's what they were doing even to the point of getting tired. I'm getting tired of that kind of breathing. You've been breathing your whole life and you're tired of breathing. (laughs) 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 What you're getting tired of is that you're forcing something that should be more natural. We're trying to get a more natural breath intentionally rather than having a breath that's controlled by a mind that is having subliminal fear. Because the whole quality of the fight and flight syndrome has to do with the underlying freeze that we do before we choose to fight and flight. And so here everyone is in tension in the in the meditation hall, getting ready. They don't know what to do to fight or flight, but they're frozen. And now they're watching their breath. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Yes. And then they forget all about it. They only breach it for just a little while to where the whole quality is, is to be able to sustain this, to be able to keep mindfulness going in the sense of mindfully breathing in long and mindfully breathing out long. That that's, that's actually um, a major aspect of the skill of developing sati. That's why it takes years for people to get into the dark night of the soul. If they would practice more correctly, then they would reach the stage that they would have reached. But then not only do they reach the edge quicker, they don't bother to jump off. Uh, And it all has to do with then taking control of one's life. 
And you can see that that's actually built right in there into the second noble truth when we recognize the cause of suffering is what we're doing. The only way that we're going to stop the suffering or the dukkha is by changing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so this is uh, also that statement of where Bhikkhu Buddhadasa says, mindfulness or wisdom at the point of contact. So when anything contacts you, never mind how much uh, stuff that you've added to it, that it not is not necessarily raw data that contacts us, but that whatever we've uh, come up with that contacts us. For, for instance, an itch is a sensation, but this is not an itch, this is scratching. <laughs> and scratching means I don't like it, and it's done subconsciously. Mm -hmm. And that happens when you live with a lot of insects. And so what they do in Western society is they try to destroy all of the insects. Mm -hmm. In the tropics, that's a lost cause and everybody knows it. Better thing to do is don't scratch. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's really terrifying because they might, you know, I don't know if you've heard about like the whole genetic engineering of of mosquitoes or whatever to make them infertile and really wipe out the species, you know, so... It's not off the picture, but oh, it would just be so terrible. People don't well, understand. <laughs> we do actually understand exactly the problem with the mosquitoes. They found this out during the 70s when people were uh, were being transported. And in fact, one of the best stunning cases was that uh, a group of people came from this area on a bus and went way over there to that place and malaria broke out there. Mm -hmm. But it was the people on the bus that had brought the malaria, not that they brought mosquitoes. They brought the, the malaria inside their own bodies. The mosquitoes then pick it up from the humans and spread it to other humans. It spread from human to human. So all you have to do is to isolate the humans that have malaria, and we don't need to mess with mosquitoes. Just isolate <laughs> the humans. Leave them alone. <laughs> but isn't that exactly what they're doing with the coronavirus? Is isolating the humans. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense that that's the cure for malaria also is to isolate any human that has it. You know, you, you can whack them one way or the other and put them under a tent or. But keep them away from the mosquitoes. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely. <laughs> It's a lot more complicated, I think, when it's, you know, sub-Saharan Africa or something, for example, you know, where it's like you have water shortages and stuff like that. and People need to cooperate and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, totally. But water shortages, isn't that mosquito control? <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> So in, in any case, um, we can actually look at that. Um, there, there are many, many different issues with that. The coronavirus, mosquitoes and malaria. I'll give you another one. This one's one that's interesting. Malicious gossip. That you can actually infect other people. If you have an attitude about this, that or the other thing, you can actually convert them out of being friends into enemies. That Eric Byrne identified that game, he called it, Less You and Him Fight. 
or another way of talking about it as uh, pulling a fast one on joy. Why don't let's put a, pull a fast one on joy? And that, that those two games are often played in religious organizations to divide and conquer so that you can get your church started. Where are you going to get your church started? You're not going to get it by knocking on doors to people who don't want to come to church. Oh, no, you're going to get your church started from people over there at that church. And the best way to do that is to talk those people into coming to your church by becoming dissatisfied with the church they're in. <laughs> in that regard, if you can see it this way, greed and ill will are the same thing. They're the opposite sides of the coin, or another way of looking at it is, is that it's in a zero-sum game that anything that I gain, you lose. Or another way of looking at it is, in order for me to take something, I've got to harm you. And so my greed, and, and, and the surprise is, is that um, you've heard of the quality of pick on your own size when they're talking about kids at school and whatnot like that. Well, rich people do that too. Why should a rich man spend all day long trying to hoodwink and, and rob a very poor man because he's not going to get much out of it? No, rich people want to use rich people as bait. They're going after the big fish. And so they wind up at the top. There you have them fighting. And right now at the top, you have Bezos and Zuckerberg and Elon Musk all at war with each other. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, they definitely they definitely pick on the bottom, too. I mean, you know. Yeah, but that's easy pickings. That's the little whole thing. Yeah. Fruit. The real competition <laughs> is at the top. That's fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it's like one uh, impoverished person doesn't have that much money but mm -hmm. a hell of a lot of impoverished people <laughs> right. well you could say then that um uh that poor people are pablum or baby food for the ultra wealthy and once they grow up they want to do some fine dining <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, this is the whole quality then about um, ill will that manifests itself in our language that in uh, uh, in the various topics about um, the precepts and right uh, <clears throat> eight pole noble path and whatnot. Mo malicious gossip is the star of the show. That's the star. And not only that, but it almost always requires one or two of the kind of lies that can be told. One is the direct lie, and the other one could be either called uh, a lie of inference or a lie of misdirection or even a lie of omission. And those kind of lies are like second class lies. The, the top quality lie is the direct lie. And um, Often what happens when a dumb dude or a psychologist or someone who is taught to really pay close attention to other people when they're talking, we can begin to identify these lies that they'll say one thing here and then they say something else and the two things don't connect together. And that would be a, an inference of uh, that kind of lie. And so 
we infect each other with that. And so uh, it's actually a good idea for you to uh, to talk with the people in that group because they're already in, um, let us say, a mass hysteria or a mass hypnosis or a mass delusion about the way that they're practicing. But you don't have to do too much because the seat of truth actually um, an example would be darkness well we think we lost Eno. yeah i think we lost him he was frozen for a little bit but he dropped off all right well we'll continue on and and maybe circle back around when he comes back in cool the analogy is um in a cave that has had no light for centuries and it is completely dark, but that darkness does not own the cave. It lives in the cave and it thinks it owns the cave because it's had no competition before. It just owns mm -hmm. the cave. Yes. But when someone with a flashlight walks into that cave and shines the cave, uh, the light has to get way. It doesn't have any uh, choice of the matter. Yes. In a way, truth is like that. So you can walk into darkness and shine a light. You may not be able to clean up all of the darkness, but you can certainly uh, shine a light in the sense that some people can see. They may not be able to see clearly, but they can begin to understand that the way that they've been living, their darkness, mm -hmm. is not correct. Certainly. Yeah. And so it's really, really worthwhile for, you know, <laughs> if you could hear this, to go back and start a shining a light because their only choice is to continue with the malicious gossip that they're practicing with each other now. Mm -hmm. That this is right and everything else is wrong is basically um, the, the position that we all take. That's why I want to make sure that when we're teaching the, the, the noble Dhamma, that we're not saying that other people are wrong. Hello. Well, hello, Eno. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. I think my, uh, I guess my Wi-Fi has just completely gone out or whatever, so I'm using my phone now. <laughs> okay. Where we stepped off, or where you left off, I had mentioned, um, the story of in a cave after many centuries of darkness, the dark itself, the blackness, begins to think it owns the cave. Mm -hmm. But when a, uh, a cave uh, man or dweller or whatever brings a flashlight into that cave, the darkness has to give way <laughs> to the light. The same is also true that a, um, a piece of gossip, a malicious lie, or a piece of information that everybody shares that is not true means that that, um, that lie or that belief system is in grave danger because anyone who shines light on it, okay? So if you go into that group and start shining some light, some people are going to hear it and some people are, are going to resist it, but they will not universally resist it. They can't. For that principle that light uh, is strong enough that the darkness cannot resist it totally. Totally. I think to me, it seems like the main problem is that 
it's just like we were saying before going back to controlling the breath or whatever people there's just not the right correct instruction for most western people because again like you were saying the western culture is just like when we're told to you know make the breath a long breath or whatever you know again it goes back to that well we have to use effort <laughs> you know and we have to you know, the, the more we hold it or whatever, the, the better it's going to be or whatever, you know. So when people finally get away from that and they're finally able to relax and just relax and just, you know, just watch the breath or whatever, that's like, oh, already that is pretty far from it, you know. But they need to take, it's about taking that extra step further. Where it's like, no, you're still, you're still handling it or whatever. You're just handling it in a more loving way, you know. And I think that's so, I don't, yeah. That, you got it. That's that's the key. OK, because going back to the point about the uh, the meta, the meta is actually the key here in the sense that, yes, they are practicing directing the mind when they practice meta. Yes, they are taking control of the mind and we can also take control of the breath by incorporating meta kinds of meditation with the breath in the sense of may I breathe in all of the joy in the world and as I breathe out I spread that joy through all of humanity and as I breathe in I breathe in joy and as I breathe out it goes to do the greatest good all right now that's actually um a, a bit better even though the phraseology uh, let us say the, the rhyme in the meter is the same, but the phraseology is such that one's an apparition and the other one is reality. It is real that my intention is, is as I breathe out that that air spreads out. Okay, so uh, we can we can bring that two things in there. To, to incorporate the breath with the metta, but the most important quality that you were mentioning is, is that yes, they are directing the mind. So maybe the question would be, why don't we practice metta all the time and mm. direct the mind rather than doing this noting, which is half full of crap mm -hmm. at best, which is the unwholesome thoughts that we have. So met, actually, so metta fits in exactly with Anapanasati in, in that regard, because metta can be used in the sing-songy kind of aspirational way that is practiced, or it can be used as gladdening the mind. Mm -hmm. Wow, I feel so good. I wish everybody felt this good. <laughs> now, isn't that expression of metta? May all <laughs> beings be happy? Wow, I don't know about happy, but they can feel as good as I do. <laughs> 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 totally. Let me, let me share a smile with the world. And I think another important, like, thing that kind of put up the, um, I don't know, put up the hackles or whatever, you know, of like defensiveness against, you know, this idea of like, you know, determining wholesome from unwholesome thoughts and making an effort to change unwholesome thoughts into wholesome thoughts um, is the fact that I've heard you talk about it before, where it's like, you know, humans are animals, we have instincts, sometimes fear arises, 
there's you're not that's it's a it's a it's a human instinct it's not going anywhere you know like there's no amount of meditation or whatever like if there's certain things that just well i don't know about that you know i'm not making that claim you know there's no amount of meditation or whatever or any sort of practice that could, could totally get rid of it but for the vast majority of people you know especially lay people or whatever like there's going to be times when there's fear you know and there's going to be times when there's true anger right i mean that's it doesn't just evaporate or whatever i mean again maybe it's certain practice that's a possibility but perhaps so we I, can talk uh, of it this way i think i know where you're going with this but let's put this interjection in it just for the clarification and that is is that uh no matter how far one progresses he does not destroy the instincts period exactly. however making friends with them knowing them very well knowing them as they arise not when they full blown and taking over but being wise to them we can direct them and have good use out of them so that the, the instincts not are just our friends are our allies also okay so friend and ally with our own feelings rather than being driven by them or trying to drive them we're rather mm -hmm. making friends with them. Totally. That's it. Yeah. Okay. So now, now that's a way of, uh, of speaking that no, not ever. I don't even want to destroy the, uh, let us say the instincts because that's the short, that's the source of actually enjoying being alive. Mm -hmm. That's life itself is, it's, it's through the instincts right down to the DNA. It's our programming. And we can make friends with it and enjoy the heck out of it, or we can be afraid and subject to it mm -hmm. out of ignorance. So that's the easy way out when you understand it that way. That means all I have to do is just take control of it in the sense of making friends with it right now. That's all we have to do just right now. Never mind. I can feel good right now. That's all I have to do is just find a way to feel right now. Feel good then I can do that next minute. And so that's really the only job. But when I would tell people that, they would come back and say, oh, well, I felt joy, but it wasn't good enough. I wanted more joy. And I said, wait a minute now. <laughs> but the group that you're working with, they don't even know that they've got a choice when they're sitting there. They could either work hard, struggle with it, want to be someplace else but stay because they know that this is good for them or they could just take a retreat they could relax they can enjoy their moment it's up to them but they don't know that they've got the choice totally exactly. yeah yeah they think that they've got to work with it and struggle with it and learn what's going on and all of that yeah. But we don't have to work and struggle to learn that a, that a, uh, let us say a propane um, uh, kitchen stove, when it's turned on and that blue flame is hot, we only have to stick our finger in it one time and now we know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Totally. Yeah. But I guess people are more afraid of pulling their hand back than they are of the fire, you know, to use that analogy. Yeah. Mm hmm. Oh, you were told to keep your hand in the fire. <laughs> There's a delicious meal at the end of your finger. Actually, it's not quite at the end. It's the whole thing. <laughs> uh -huh. 
but that's that's the promise you're supposed to. And mm-hmm. so we grow up with a whole long list of supposed tos. Think how many thousands of supposed tos you've got. I can name several thousand just by driving a car alone or roads. <laughs> yes. Okay. An example of what I'm talking about um, in the West, mostly, not everywhere, but in the West, mostly, uh, and especially in the United States, because of water drainage, every road is kind of curved from the middle and it goes down. All right. Also, if it's got sidewalks or uh, not sidewalks, but curves, the curve is always raised up to channel the water into gutters and whatnot like that which means that when the people are on the sidewalk walking across the road, they've got to step down to the road and go into the world or the territory of cars. Roads belong to cars, okay? Now imagine another way of doing it, and that would be that the roads themselves are at one level and the sidewalks are at a, maybe they are at a different level, but across the road, the sidewalk stays the same size and the cars have to go up and over the sidewalk. Now that means that the sidewalk belongs to the pedestrians, not to the cars. Now that's just one point of thousands and thousands of little rules, the way that our society is built up, points to that kind of thing. Who owns the road? Mm -hmm. The cars do. In Thailand, that's not true. Cars don't own the road. The dog that's lying in the road owns that road. Yes. That's I know because we've got a couple of dogs down the road here and they are a major <laughs> issue for everybody because they're right into a curve. <laughs> and, but but people, you know, are familiar with it and they know that the dogs are in the road. You got to watch where you're going. Yeah. yeah. And that's another one is right of way in the West. They have the concept of the right of way. You got to stay in your lane, et cetera, like that. And uh, part of that right of way has to do with going forward is better than backing up. That if you're backing up, let's say you back out into traffic and ongoing traffic hits you in the, back, the rear. The guy who was in the, uh, the backing up car is wrong, right? That's not true in Thailand. What's true in Thailand is, is that you better stop. You don't want to hit that car as stupid as he is for backing out into traffic. Don't hit him. Uh-huh. And so it's a whole different uh, mentality. And by living in that kind of world, I begin to understand how deep all of these shoulds and woulds and coulds mm-hmm. are set into each one of our minds. So just the way that you go, the fact that you do go to work and the clothes that you wear when you go to work and the fact that you go to work at a certain time. And I mean, look at how many rules that we're already abiding by just to just to get to work. Never mind that all the rules. I mean, you got to sit in a particular desk. You were told to sit there. Exactly. Yes. When you get home, you're going to have to sleep and you're going to have to sleep for eight hours. (laughs) <laughs> oh God! I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. The number of uh, laws and rules that that exactly, we have, yes. and so this is what mindfulness was be, was about, all about. Anyway, is to wake up and look at all of this stuff that we have to think about in our society. 
and how much trouble and work it is to keep track of all the stuff. I mean, it takes us 25 years to bring up, to bring up a child to operate in our society, and then half the time it's still a disaster. <laughs> to where wouldn't it be so much better if we just lived in a teepee together and had a fire going that we kept once in a while, and when an animal came by and got into the wrong area, he became lunch, and other than that, life is easy. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe at the same time, you know, you know, it's impossible not to think about like, you know, all sorts of there's all sorts of reasons why our society is the, is the way it is. It obviously could be a lot better. No one could doubt that. But I don't know. Ah, the problem is those who do doubt it and they want to fix it. And look how many people are at odds with each other over how to fix it. Uh, That's the reason that it got the way that it was. It wasn't some grand designer that messed it up like this. No, it took a whole lot of humans fighting with each other to leave this disaster. Yes. <laughs> and every one of them just said what you said. Oh, this place is a mess. Let's go clean it up. <laughs> right. Like anytime we talk about like changing society, that's that's what anyone is saying, right? That's the whole point. You can't do it. Right. Society has changed you. Mm -hmm. Okay. That that in fact, the, think, thinking that you can change society when it's you that needs to change you because the society that you want to change is not out there. It's inside your head. You brought it in. You came to polluted. You're the. It's like the 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 waterlogged log. Mm -hmm. The waterlogged log. The log cares about the water that's in the log, not the water he came out of. Mm -hmm. But it's still the bog that we got to get out. So the wet, the, so that means that the log is smarter than the humans because the humans don't know when they come out of the bog that they're out of the bog. Totally. But at the same time, you could say, you know, the log is made out of primarily water. You know, it needs water, you know. So I think, you know, I, I'm just saying that I think there's a little there's, dabble do you just enough. We're talking <laughs> about water log and that's, <laughs> that's <better. laughs> and that's what, so uh, in that way, culture, yeah, a little dabble do you, let's have a little culture. Let's have a campfire and a TP and, and uh, a few <laughs> sticks and stones and we'll be good. Exactly. We were, we were good for thousands of years that way. <laughs> that was but reading and I saw the water log yeah. with rules. I saw the number 2.6 million years that humans or sapien or the homo species was evolving and such. And they didn't need to have civilization or culture or I mean, culture somewhat, I assume, but it may have faded away. Um, but they didn't need civilization technology, um, at least at the extent we have it. Yeah. But always there is still so what we have is that we want to make the world better because we're dissatisfied with the world the way it is. Yes. So after 2.6 million years of all of humanity going around trying to fix uh, society so that they can find it be comfortable and happy and safe and secure. And we're 100 percent total failures at it. <laughs> I'm... 
I don't agree. And there's another way. <laughs> the other way is, is that let's not deal with society out there and all those rules. Let's clean house on the inside of the mind. And then society is not our problem anymore. Yeah. Because we, we took care of society. We cleaned it out completely and we can invite other people to do the same thing and when enough people are doing that then we don't need the big society out there that enough people we can be friends totally i mean that's, we, that's it and by the way you know when all of the laws and rules and regulations about flight changes come set up a tp and a fire in my yard <laughs> Stay here. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just it all it just sounds like a little bit utopian, you know. In terms of like things are very, you know, it's just nice to think about, but at the same time, it's like when there's someone that's truly suffering. Like, say you have someone that has an infection or something, like in some remote part of the world or something and then it's like you know there needs to be certain okay, when someone has an infection it's not necessarily up to you to do something about it just like it's not up to me to do anything about my little friend here on the nose i don't have to do anything at all and just leave him there and continue to talk and we're okay okay so whatever people are sick Someone else at some other hospital will take care of the situation. You don't have to feel bad because somebody you don't know got sick. Totally. I totally agree with that. But at the same time, there are construction. Exactly. There's and ways that, to construct. That's a very sophisticated but. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. At the same there's, time, continue. I'm interested. <laughs> there's ways of constructing society where you're going to have less people that are having, you know, these terrible infections and really suffering because of them, right? Ah, so maybe manipulating Elon Musk into giving, so selling some stock to give uh, $6 billion to the UN might be a wholesome outcome. But he's worried that the money is going to get squandered because it generally does. And if he's going um, and 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 it's okay with Elon Musk that they squander money so long as it's not his money they squander. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just think that like it's just so easy to think like, oh, society just needs to be this way, you know, or whatever. Like we all just need to be in teepees or whatever. But ah, but a but, much better it, expression of it is instead of thinking that society should be according to your idea. Because how many millions of people have that? They have, I want society to be according to my idea. So you're okay. thinking like the crowd now. You're just a member of the crowd, and we're trying to get far away from the maddening crowd. But isn't even like saying that, well, let's all just focus on our own internal mess. I didn't or say all. No, I'm not saying all. <laughs> I'm talking about you. We're not yeah. developing an army here. We're in the <laughs> Marines, just a few good men. <laughs> and when you learn to do it, you can spread it. But as long uh -huh. as you've still got the disease, you're going to spread your disease instead. Because you're out there doing it just like everybody else. Oh, we got to fix society, so I'll feel better about society. No, go fix how you feel 
And then you can deal with society the way that you feel when you choose to feel the way you want to feel. You can feel the way you want to feel, and then maybe you can deal with society more effectively than yeah. if you're dealing with society because you don't like the way society is. Totally. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's the teaching of the Buddha. It's a one-two punch. It's not a one-punch. It's a two-step punch. Okay. That... A dirty dish rag does not clean dishes very well. But that dirty dish rag had been in there cleaning dishes for a long time, and he's an expert at it. <laughs> and all he needs to do yeah. is just go take a bath, and then he can get right back in there. Okay, but right now, as dirty as he is, as if, uh, no matter what effort that he puts in or the skills to it, He's putting dirt back on the dish as fast as he's taking it off. So the first thing the dish rock has to do is to go take a bath. This is what we're talking about. That's my job. I am not interested in washing dishes. I'm interested in washing dish rags. That's amazing. Yeah, that's a beautiful point. <laughs> <laughs> We don't need a whole thousand army full of dishes. All we need is a few good dish rags. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so we have to do it. That That's the better way of doing it, is to get one's own mind cleaned out. Because the analogy get, goes on, the, the, the one about the log and the bog, that once it's out of the, the bog, we can set that log on fire and clean it out and make it into a dugout canoe. Now that canoe can go back into the swamp, but he could float on top of the swamp. It's uh, uh, super mundane. He floats. He doesn't sink now. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's how the log can stay out of the bog, even though he's still in the bog. Mm -hmm. Because he's lightweight now. Got all of that old excess water out of him. So that's another part of the analogy, but I like that dish rag. That's <laughs> <laughs> and so maybe that will help because I'm not interested in saying, oh, we have to stick, keep society broken. Mm -hmm. I'm saying it's not broken. Mm -hmm. But we have a whole civilization of humans that think it is broken. Mm -hmm. totally but maybe <laughs> what you but at the same time there's something that's off right i mean the, the dish rags are dirty right and okay the, the dishes are dirty <laughs> mm -hmm. they're not broken i suppose but they're dirty well well that's the point then going to get, you have to stop washing dishes long enough to go take a bath <laughs> uh -huh. That's the point. And not only that, but an active dishwasher needs to go take a bath often. Gosh, know that, yeah. <laughs> okay. Because why? Because we pick up the dirt that we're cleaning out. That when you are around ordinary people, they're going to pollute your mind with their current filth. The question is, can you handle that? 
And not only that, but even the Buddha talks about it in the sense of mudita or sympathetic vibration. But we can see that uh, that vibration happens with with language and with feelings. So generally when. okay, here's two examples. Misery loves company. If you don't know that, then when you go around the miserable person, you're going to be miserable pretty soon. Especially if you're trying to help them out of their misery because they've sucked you right in like a black widow. Okay. The same thing is true from angry. That people who are angry, they want other people to be angry. Fear. And it doesn't matter whether they can get you angry at what they're angry at or to get you angry at them. It doesn't matter. Just so long as they can get you angry. Yes. All right. And then there's the issue of the bar fly. This is where all of this came from in my education was is that when someone walks into a bar, he's expected to drink. If someone walks into the bar and does not drink, then that means that the barfly sitting in the at the bar is offended because this guy's just proved that he's better than the barfly. And so now the barfly has to invite him to take a drink. Please let me pour you a drink. I want you to drink with me to prove that I'm okay. Yeah. All right. Let me clean so, you with my dirty dish rag. I'm going to clean you in my dirty dish rag. Exactly. That's exactly correct. All right. So um, it, it happens in the bar. It happens in ordinary conversation. It happens all the time. Anytime that someone is trashing anything, that's malicious gossip. And here you are trashing our poor, wonderful human society. <laughs> and you're and you're trying to try. I mean, you're just gossip mongering about how bad things are. I might believe if you keep doing it. <laughs> I, well, I, I was really trying to go for like the uh, the positives. I mean, Western society just has like an immense amount of positives, like the fact that people have rights and stuff like that. You know, I think that really came out of like having you know a, a couple of people really be clean dish rags and be like, hey. Like, let's recognize that, like, people are worth something in themselves, you know, and shouldn't they just had be used to, to have it. a war to do that, not just one war, but war after war after war. That mentality is always in danger. There is always people who want to run the place. There's always people who think that human that um, let us say um, uh, the First Amendment rights. Is is dangerous to them. And they want to be in control because they feel safe that they can be boss. And if I've got enough money and I want to be boss, I'm going to do pay some of that money to destroy your First Amendment rights. Totally. I think yeah. I'm I think I'm quoting Charles Koch right now. <laughs> because he wants to protect his money and he'll spend huge amounts of money to protect his interest. Mm-hmm. And you better not say anything about him because he'll feel bad and then he'll attack you with millions of dollars. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Am I talking about uh, uh, Donald Trump or Charles Koch or Elon Musk or who am I talking about? I think, yeah, every one of them fits that. <laughs> they don't like to be attacked. Therefore, they do not want to support 
First Amendment rights because of what what is the First Amendment right? The right to open your mouth and criticize. <laughs> if you went around saying wholesome things all the time, nobody cares. <laughs> Be friends with everybody if you don't <laughs> criticize them. <laughs> totally. I totally agree. Yeah. So this is a hard lesson because we have been taught our whole lives that, that the society needs fixed because I don't like it. I have to fix that society because if I can fix that society, I'll feel better. Right? I mean, every child is raised that way. Every child wants to fix the school to make uh, their childhood easier. And the adults won't fix the school because the school's been fixed to make life easier for the for the adults. Totally. Not there to make life easy for the kids. Yes, that's a good point. I think a lot of it, though, can also go beyond just straight societal conditioning. Like, say someone grew up like in a village or something, and then when they came back to that village, it's like completely destroyed all of the natural everything is gone. It's now just like an oil plant. There's oil rigs everywhere. All of the natural scenery is destroyed. That person's going to have, again, we're talking about like these instincts come up. It depends upon where he was when he was gone. Was he on an oil rig? When he comes back, he may think he's back home (laughs) again. (laughs) That's fair enough. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. Yeah, it really depends upon where he was when he was gone because that influenced him more so. In other words, what we're talking about here is that comma has a time value factor built in, just like money does. There's interest to pay, except that action has to pay interest, which means it dwindles over time. So if you're away from your home long enough, like 80 or 90 years, let's say that you were raised in a village at the age of five and you go back and you visit it at the age of 95. It's not going to be the same village at all. You're not going to recognize anything. You may not even know that you're in the same village unless you were told that, but then it's a concept and all you have is the memory because that village is completely gone. Okay. So, and what is a 95-year-old human to do now? To feel good? Or to feel bad. That's his choice because he doesn't have any choice over what <laughs> happened to the village. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but, you know, do, don't you think that some of these, we're talking about like sympathetic vibrations of that sort of thing. If, if someone sees something like the refugee crisis or something like that happening and they see immense suffering or whatever, it's not really. I know so- someone <laughs> like that. In fact, a, and I, re, I refer to him and call him a dear friend of mine, but our relationship had to grow. Uh-huh. But that was Santi Caro. Santi Caro spent years in a refugee camp working as a, uh, a volunteer. Uh, uh, America has a, a Peace Corps. That's what it was. Yeah. And he was trained in the U.S. to, to, to speak Thai. Then he comes to Thai and he learns some Cambodian and whatnot like that. And when the refugee camps closed and all of the refugees were taken to the United States, Satikaro, learning what he had learned in those refugee camps, he went there to help, but he learned something. He learned about Bhikkhu Buddhadasa. And hot dang, when that refugee camp closed, he's off to watch one monk. <laughs> totally. totally. 
All right. So being a, a, a helper, you, you just mentioned refugee camps. And so I point this out that refugee camps are not the refugee camps in your mind. The refugee camps that are in reality have a bigger, bigger reality. And that those refugee camps, you have to go be there and live with them to find out really what's going on before you can even help those people. And it might be the other way around. They wind up by helping you. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> so there's a story about refugee camps, because I, I have lived with people who have spent years in those refugee camps because that, that was the entire what you would call population of the Asians that was the community that I lived in. Sure. sure. So boy, do I know about refugee camps and, you know, from both sides of that. And I can tell you that refugee camps are a real place, but there's also uh, the, the other kind of refugee camp, which is that which is in the mind of the beholders living in the West, thinking about refugee camps. And think about, oh, how bad that is and what a terrible event it was and all of that kind of yeah. stuff. Okay. Where, in fact, many of those refugees are really happy that they're there. Just like this dude's really happy on the nose. <laughs> He's digging right in, in fact. <laughs> it's time to say, hey, man, let's go find something else to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. So... That's the idea then is, is that we have been taught in the West about all the problems of the West that need to be fixed. I mean, I've had people, but there's a whole group of them. Um, one of them had to say about wh why can that old man on the uh, YouTube on the uh, channel be happy when there is uh, Yemen totally. with the children in Yemen? Totally. What about That's world hunger? And another one, she really got to bag her out and tried to stab me with. What about the <laughs> chauvinism in the Sangha? <laughs> okay, totally. like it's my fault that I'm, you know, that, uh, that no, that's the mindset. But the totally. funny part about it is, is that chauvinism in the Sangha is not an issue in Thailand at all. It's an issue in the West. Why? Because chauvinism is a big deal in the West. In Thailand, is already a matriarchal society, so you're not expecting the kind of problems that you would have that the, that the Westerns have. So they bring their problem to Asia, trying to fix a problem in Asia that doesn't exist in Asia in the form that it exists in the West. Just like the real refugee camps in Asia are not the way that you think they are. Totally. All That's, right, so if that, then why are we out there thinking that we can fix the world when we don't even know what's really going on in the world? We're just, so in fact, the world that you want to fix is the world inside your own mind anyway. So why don't you fix the mind, the, the world on the inside of the mind? Then you can actually see the actual world the way that it is. And guess what? It's okay. It's fine. It's got not a, the, the planet Earth would do fine without humans. Yeah, maybe a lot better. It's <laughs> too <laughs> <Just> wonderful. <laughs> the that's, problem that's... is, is that humans think that the world is broken. That the plant. I mean, look at what they're doing: digging it up, taking the oil out, cutting the mountains off. I mean, terraforming—they call it, right? That's because it ain't good enough. 
And when you got your cell phone, you were, um, let us say, a participant in that de-earthing. Totally. The magnets, the uh, uh, the chips themselves, all of the uh, the silicon in the uh, battery, the uh, the uh, the cobalt, all of that stuff was dug up out of the earth because somebody thought that the world the way it was wasn't good enough. And so there is some advantage in doing that. I'm not saying that the world can't take that advantage. I'm saying that you need to take even a different advantage in the fact that you need to clean your own world out. And that's what the whole point about you going to the meditation class is, is to begin to teach them. You can't fix them. You can't do it. No, I'm not trying to, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> you Dude, can't I'm... fix them, but you can no. share your joy with them, and that they will pick up on. And they, they share their joy with me. They're, they're joyful people. Like, we have, we have a wonderful time. <laughs> Well, then that's the thing. Go share your joy with them, and the little bit of wisdom that you have will rub off. <laughs> but if you go in there and try to fix a broken organization, you got two couples. One on the inside, I can fix it, and the other one is on the outside. No, you can't, and they'll make sure you know that you're not going to fix them. Because <laughs> they're that's their job. Just like it's not my job to fix you, I'm just having fun with you. You could fix your own <laughs> mind. <laughs> and truly, we are the only ones that can. Exactly right. That's what the second noble truth is really all about. You It's up to you. If you can't do it, nobody can. But in our society, we've been told all you can do. You get a can-do attitude and you go out and try to do things because we're... It's, it's all basically down to the triangle. Going from A to C. Buddha's path is a direct path to get what you want. The society teaches you got to go from A to B and then from B to C. An example of that in Christianity is you can't go to your own heaven directly. You've got to come to Jesus first and then ride on his donkey to get to heaven. Okay. <laughs> The same way about the chick magnet. You got to go buy the car to get the girl. Mm -hmm. And then General Motors is going to carry you to the girl. Yeah, and you can take it even farther where you say, like, you have to get the girl to get the happiness. <laughs> right, and you can just go get the happiness directly. Absolutely. Another example of that, you've got to go vote for this politician or that politician, because if you don't, every, all hell's going to break loose. I mean, they're baby killers. <laughs> totally. and not only that, but they're going to let immigrants in, and then our uh, our our little uh, control paradise is all going to rot. Totally. I think the point that I was trying to make earlier is just it's a very small small thing, and that okay. I, I think a lot of like our political views or whatever are not entirely driven on us by society a lot of why people become politically active or want to become polit politically active is because certain instincts get triggered in them. And maybe yeah. those instincts get then reverted into, you know, political arenas or whatever, wh whereas yes. they would better. So I guess that's an interesting point. Ah, but the political arenas are quite expert now with 100 years of education and industrial psychology and propaganda. 
the um, those institutions themselves know how to control things. That in fact, all oh, many examples. One of them is is that they used to experiment with what color to paint the wall of the factory. The point was is that the workers in the factory liked the fact that you actually painted the factory. They didn't care what color it was. At least it was better than what it used to be. But that was an issue of what color should be a factory. So do you get the most work out of a, I mean, these were the kind of experiments they were working on in the 1930s and they've gotten really sophisticated since then. Okay. So there's that whole element of control. That's what I was saying before, that who you think you are is not who you really are because what you really are is what you've been told you are and what you've been told to be. That's who you are now until you start cleaning that stuff out and just watching it happen is not going to help. You've got to make a change. <laughs> and But you can't fix the outside world because the world outside is not only not broken, but all you will do is join the war of the folks who think it's broken and have to compete with them over getting your fix in. But when you stop trying to fix the world and got your own mind straightened out, then you got no problem with the world. It's, it's fine. In fact, it's a marvelous show. Have I told you recently what Donald Trump has done? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a wonderful show. It's marvelous what's happened. But but you see, you're expecting something out of it, an outcome. To where the reality is, is that it's the same old cycles over and over and over again. We go from good politicians to bad politicians. We go from this party to that party. That's all the news now. Why did the Democrats lose Virginia? And isn't that terrible about Virginia? And these other politicians or, or uh, newscasters just say, you know something? Every time uh, this party wins in Virginia, the next election the other party wins. And that's happened time after time after time after time. And that's the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're on a roller coaster. And if you try and stop yeah. it by putting your arm on the rail, you're just going to get your arm ripped off. So just enjoy <laughs> the ride. It, yeah. Just enjoy the ride. <laughs> that the, in fact, your whole life is nothing but one long roller coaster ride. And maybe when you, you can, can recognize whisper that, to someone it goes up, next it goes to you. Down. Just enjoy the show. Exactly. Totally. Okay. Well, in that regard, um, after you've seen the show, maybe you can see how the roller coaster could be a little bit better. But then you have to go make friends with whoever's going to be repairing the roller coaster anyway. You can't go out and complain about it. That's the issue. Is that because that's what the whole world is doing is complaining. Mm -hmm. And so that whole complaining mentality is the mentality of the victim who has something to complain about. He has been wronged somehow. I mean, look what a mess your life is, and it's all their fault. <laughs> yes. They made me like this, and so it's all their fault. Okay, so one of the ways of taking revenge on uh, the world is by, in fact, this is, this is the story. Uh, the best revenge is not just served cold, but the very, very best revenge is living well. Because if you're living well, then whatever they wronged you with didn't hurt you. 
can't touch me. Nah, 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 can't touch me. Okay, so when you have that attitude about the world out there, you don't have to fix it because it can't touch you. That so you're above the world. You become the canoe because you've hollowed out. Now you can float. And this is what we need to spread is that you can float. You don't have to uh, to drown. You don't have to get caught in the bog. You come out of the bog, dry yourself out, clean yourself out, and then you can go for a sail. So this is the one-two punch. And both issues have to do with friendship. The cleaning out on the inside means you become friends with your instincts. You become friends with who you are. That what's going on on the inside is marvelous. What a contraption the human body is. And you've got one as a toy. Well, it's like you said, it's a show. I mean, it's it's absolutely fantastic that mm -hmm. we get every single second. It's like we get to experience. What is it like to be right here, right now? You know, I mean, it's it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Even the wind on the shoulders and the breeze and the bugs that crawl on the nose and all of that. That's just, it's just marvelous. And so we can allow that marvelous quality to it. But when we, when we were um, at just surface level or under uh, water, then everything is a struggle. Everything is hard. And so coming out of that, and drying out and getting lightweight, buoyant. And then we can sail. That's the, that's the way. And when we're sailing, now we can be friends with the very bog that we were uh, waterlogged in. Totally, totally. And so that, that's, that's the teaching and that this is um, why the mindfulness teaching doesn't gain that benefit that all they can do is go into the bog and inspect those logs suck into the bottom. They don't take the effort to pull to drag that bog or drag that log out of the bog to let it dry out. No. All the you come in there on a ship and they see you on a ship, they're in the bog after a while after all. They might might a few of them might look up at you and see like, oh, he's actually getting some benefit out of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why is this guy enjoying our meditation class when everybody else is so miserable? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, again, it's not like people were miserable. I think like a lot of Western mindfulness is definitely like if you super... don't believe me, go ask them. <laughs> Especially about 45 minutes into an hour sitting. That's true. Oh, absolutely. No doubt about that. Yeah. I'm, yeah, absolutely. But I think a lot of Western mindfulness can definitely totally lead to more happiness, even if it doesn't have the full picture and it can lead to, like you're saying, but the dark That's because they can see the dukkha. That's the whole process is that they're not taught to see the dukkha, but we see it anyway. That's why the path works. We, even when the path has got a couple of pieces missing, people come out of that path marvelous. And oh. I give you... Uh, Dan Ingram is an example of that. He's a marvelous human being. Totally. That's a wonderful example, yeah. Yeah, so it works. The process works. You just don't have to drown. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's, yeah, okay. that's wonderful.
All right, so that's the difference is, is that that technique that's not doing the job of the right effort of taking the mind out of the bog, taking the mind out of the bog, taking the mind out of the bog over and over and over again, they're not taking that right effort. Mm-hmm. And that's why it it's such a slow path. Yes, it does work. Absolutely. 100%. I know it works. I've seen many examples of the proof positive that it works. Just like a cast works to help heal a broken arm. That's so, but maybe a little bit of surgery on that arm might be useful. Maybe putting it and setting it right before you put the cast on it. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. definitely. It's, uh, the, the bottom line is you got to go to the right doctor. <laughs> well my doctors are a couple of canines totally but you know what i'm saying (laughs) i know what you mean right there's some place in there that we got to get on the right path exactly Mm -hmm. but that's coming to the west that this is not my dhamma this is the buddha's dhamma and the buddha's dhamma once it's clarified anybody can get it but very few people get that information to the point that they recognize, oh, this is what it's all about. I can't just see what's going on. I've got to fix inside. That's mm-hmm. the effort, not going to rallies. Let's go to a rally in here. Let's go rally this exactly. <laughs> Totally, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we've moved this moved through this. This is a, a really important point because we have to begin to move out of the idea that the world is broken and it needs fixing and I can do it. Or it's my job to do. Rather than recognizing, hey, the job that needs to be done is to get the the log out of the bog or to get the society out of the mind. Once the society is out of the mind, now society is wonderful. There's only when in the mind that it hurts. It's only when my hand is in the fire that it hurts. <laughs> you know, this has really been a, it's just a long call. We've gotten one point done, but this is a really, really <laughs> powerful, important point. Totally, about yeah. Very, out it's, the, very mm-hmm. interesting. Aspect, yeah. Great. Parker, you have been doing nothing but howling with laughter for the whole past hour. (laughs) (laughs) We're all here for the ride. What else is there to do? Just enjoying the show. I get it. I get it. (laughs) So, do you have anything to say? Um, No, this is great. I had a few questions coming in. Um, Uh... Let's see. Um, the Dhamma questions um, were just like uh, small ones that might take a little longer. Um, but also some uh, curiosities about uh, um, last last time you called or I called, uh, you mentioned uh, that there was, um, I don't know, something YouTube related or something. So I thought I'd bring that up um, or something else. Um, that oh, you were going we can, to mention? Yeah, we can talk about the YouTube channel at another time. Uh, 
uh, let's do that later. So because yeah. that's not important right now, that's we're right. having fun. <laughs> <laughs> so you, if that's if that's all you got on your mind, you're in good shape. Yes. So I'll I'll let it go now. This has been about an hour and a half. This has been great. Thank you, Eno. You've been really instrumental in in allowing us to make a an important point here that that yeah the world needs fixing by those who see it broken and that's the common attitude that's how everybody is totally it's yeah hardly any getting out of it yeah <laughs> so welcome out of the bog <laughs> totally and i'm happy to be friends with it like yeah <laughs> yeah Excellent. all right well we'll see you guys later yeah, see I'll you see later. You. This is great. Okay, is thank you so much. And, you know, time. this has been great. Good to see you too, Parker. Good to see you. Bye.